story we had for the children's hour. There wasn't seven of us, there were 12 of us. And I never forgot. <laughs> never forgot that day as a little child. Never will forget. I got an orange. We only saw oranges at our place like once a year and that was Christmas and that's if someone brought one. And I got a walnut. Now that may not seem like very much to some of you but I got a walnut. And I got a hard shell almond. Took me half a day to get the nut out. <laughs> and for a toy, for a toy, I received an airplane, a little metal airplane. And this little metal airplane was missing one wheel. But I thought it was the greatest thing in all the world. <laughs> that little airplane. I can still see it now, my mind's eye how fantastic it was. And then my mom said, I said, where did these come from? And she said, people that love Jesus brought them. Amen. What a fantastic story that was for our young people. Well, <clears throat> now is the time for you to tell somebody something really important. And that is, Jesus loves you and so do I. Don't let anybody be alone. Jesus loves you and so do I. Love you, Papa. Hi, Papa. Mm -hmm. Jesus loves you and so do I. Charlie, Jesus loves you and so do I. It's with great joy that I look forward to January when your new pastor comes. That's not true. I cannot tell a lie. My wife and I have come to love all of you. You're such special, special people. You are very special and very dear to our hearts. It's going to be hard not being here in January. So I was telling our music director, I asked her, I said, Clary, are you going to have an Easter program? And she said, yes, yes I am. And I said, well, if, if we get reassigned somewhere else, uh, I don't know what'll happen, but I said, if we don't get reassigned somewhere else, I'm gonna ask my wife, if we can't come up every Sabbath and practice for the Easter program. Let us pray over God's word. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, with great joy it is that we open your word because in there we find the truth about you and about Jesus and about how much you love us, how much you care for us, so tenderly you care. We're such stubborn people and we go our own way like it says in Isaiah 53, every one of us goes his own way. And yet you spend time after time after time at the door of our hearts. 
knocking and knocking and knocking and asking us to turn to you and open that door so that you can come in and sup with us and that you can share with us the joy of eternity. Oh God, I pray this morning that our hearts will be open to receive your word. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit, which will be here to bless us. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was uh, riding on the freeway, and I noticed a bumper sticker. And the bumper sticker said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I looked at that, and I was behind the car for a while, so I looked again, and it says, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I thought, something doesn't sound right. So I, I looked in my Bible, under Galatians chapter 4, and I looked at the fourth verse and the fifth verse in Galatians chapter 4, and it's okay to turn your Bible to that spot. So that you can mark it in your Bible. Because this is good news. Amen. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the proper time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born subject to the regulations and penalties of the law, to purchase the freedom and to ransom and to redeem and to atone for those who were subject to the law, that we might be adopted and have sonship conferred upon us, and he recognized us as God's sons and daughters. That is fantastic good news. Good news. So the reason for the season isn't Jesus. The reason for the season is you. Jesus came because of you. God sent Jesus because of you. In Desire of Ages, page 417, it says, Jesus did not count heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. But he left the courts of glory and came down to this earth to rescue you and I. What a Savior! Fantastic Savior. And he knew what he was coming to. He was coming to a bunch of obstinate people who want everything their way and nothing his way. But he knew that if he could only show us the Father, if he could tell us really what God's like, if he could say, this is how much God loves you. In Desire of Ages, page 57, it says that, Having undertaken our redemption, he will spare nothing, however dear, which is necessary to the completion of his work. No truth essential to our salvation is withheld. No miracle of mercy is neglected. No divine agency is left unemployed. Favor is heaped upon favor, gift upon gift. The whole treasury is opened in heaven. And he gives all these into the hands of Jesus and says, All these are for man. 
Use these gifts to convince him there's no love greater than mine in earth or heaven. His greatest happiness will be found in loving me. And so as Jesus walked the earth, he did exactly what the Father told him to do. He spread those gifts everywhere he could. He'd walk into town and somebody say, I have a headache. And before he left town, there wasn't a single sick person in the whole town. And it didn't make any difference what kind of sickness it was. Matter of fact, one fellow missed out. Jesus came into town and he missed out because he had died. And they were taking the, the body by Jesus. And as he went by, the mother was behind crying. And Jesus' heart was touched and he went over and he put his hand up there. And he says, come on back to life. You got things to do. And he raised that young man up and presented him back to his mother. We're going to look at what it costs God. Christmas was not why Jesus came. Matter of fact, God has obscured the date of Jesus' birth so that we would not get confused and spend our time looking at an event that had no real importance other than the fact that he did come. Because God wanted you and I to fasten our eyes upon his great love for you and I. And what it was going to cost him. Now I just told you what. He would spare what? Nothing, however dear. Did he spare his son? Gave him freely. Now, if Jesus only had to come and die, that would have been a piece of cake. Don't you think so? No. He just comes down. He's a man. Somebody goes, bang, he's dead. And then, then we all say, oh, hallelujah, sin's paid for. But that wasn't what was needed. What was needed for you and I to see a living example of what God wants us to be and what he has given us power to be and the joy that comes from being what God wants us to be. And to demonstrate that took an entire lifetime of Jesus, which, by the way, prophecy said was cut off short. Over 300 prophecies were fulfilled at the birth of Christ. That's a lot of prophecies. I actually have a little booklet that names all of them. Tells you where to find them in the Bible. Over 300 prophecies. All fulfilled by the birth of Christ. It's impossible to say God is dead. It's impossible to say that Jesus never came. It's just impossible. There is too much historical information to say that he did come. I was in college over in San Francisco in my 20s. And while I was in that college, my mother, who never stopped going to college her entire life, she went to college every single year until about two years before she died when she got dementia. But before then, she went to college every year. Well, she had come to me and she said, Fred, would you 
be willing to take a class with me because I don't want to go because it's a night class and I don't want to go by myself. I said, what is it? She said, astronomy. I said, yep. The first gift that my mother was able to buy for me when, when finally things turned around in our family was a telescope. And I climbed up on top of the barn in the back of our lot. And I spent hours looking at Saturn and Jupiter. I could see the moons on them. And I just was enthralled with the glory of heavens. And I did that. Night after night after night. Until one night the police came. And they came to arrest me. Because the lady next door had turned me in as a peeping Tom. And I pointed out to the officer that I was looking this way and her house was that way. And, and I told him what I was doing and, and looking at the stars and I could tell him all about the stars. I was really enthralled with that. And in, in the book of Psalms, in Psalms 19, we're going to go Psalms 19, we're going to go 20, we're going to go 21, 22, 23, 24, we'll break for lunch, 25. <laughs> all these Psalms together, from 19, all the way up to, I think, 31, and even past 31 to 35, but, but the ones from 19 to 25 are specifically speaking of Jesus. And if you've never been on this journey before, you need to take it again. I'm just going to give you a taste of it. Uh, we don't have the time for me to go into all the detail that I usually go into. And, but I want you to have a foretaste of this because it tells you how much Jesus loves you. So it starts out in Psalms 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth and proclaims His handiwork. Day after day pour forth speech. Night after night shows forth knowledge. There is no speech nor spoken word from the stars. Yet their voice is not heard. And yet their voice in evidence goes out throughout the whole earth. And their sayings to the end of the world. And of the heavens has God made a tent for the sun. And so it starts out with creation. Psalms 19. And before creation, God and Jesus had gathered together in a council, a heavenly council, and had decided that should sin happen, Jesus would give his life to pay the penalty of sin for you. They determined that. Before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, you had a Savior. And so as you look through Psalms 19, I'm going to tell you what you can find in there, but I'm not going to take a lot of time to, to read them to you. You're going to find out the beginning of sin. You're going to find out that God is on trial. You're going to find out that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul or the whole person. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Do you think we ought to make a song out of that? How would it go? The law of the Lord is perfect, 
Lord, make more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, honey, and the honeycomb. You see how many people we have for Easter? They, they harmonize well. So, right there from verse, you're taking it from verse uh, 7, and you go right down through there. That whole song is right there. That's where that song comes from. Psalms 19, 7 and on, are the words to that song. And so, in there, we find out this. We find out Jesus is praying, and Jesus says, I need the Holy Spirit. Keep back your servant also, verse 13, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be blameless, and I shall be innocent and clear of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, you are my firm and impenetrable rock, and you are my redeemer. So Jesus prays. And then in Psalms 20, the angels bring an answer. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you up on high and defend you. Send you help from the sanctuary. Support and refresh and strengthen you from Zion. Remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. What is the plan that Jesus was to fulfill? God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the, that's the plan that Jesus was working on. And so, you know, in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verses 11 to 14, that tells you what? It says, I know, God is talking, I know the plans that I have for you. Should we read it? Let's see what kind of plans God has for us. Jeremiah 29. says, for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace, not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. Then you will call upon me. You will come and pray to me, and I will hear and heed you. And then you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will release you from your captivity to sin. Thank you, Jesus. Where's my thank you, Jesus, man? It's way, way back there. So those are the plans that God has for us. 
How many of you want that kind of plan? I do. I want that kind of plan. Okay, so it goes on now. We're in, we're in Psalms 20. And it says, we will shout, the angels are saying, we will shout in triumphant at your salvation and victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know the Lord says his anoint, uh, saves his anointed, and he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. So that in, in Psalms, it is recorded that when Jesus comes, God was going to be right there with him. In the book of Romans, it says, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. And here it's predicted over in Psalms. And it says what? He's going to have the victory. And they're going to make banners. Because he's going to have the victory. And they're going to have a big parade. Because he's going to have the victory. I got one person said amen. And he's going to have the victory. Hallelujah. His victory is your victory. Claim it. His death is your death, your penalty for sin. His resurrection is your assurance of your resurrection. Claim it. So it goes on. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. Then in verse 7 it says, Some trust in and boast in chariots and horses, and, but we will trust and boast in the name of the Lord our God. And in verse 8 it says, They are bowed down and fallen, but we are men and stand upright. O Lord, give victory. Let the king answer us when we call. Now you go into verse chapter 21, and it says, now God is glad. He's going to answer that prayer right now. The king shall joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall, be, shall he rejoice. So what's going to happen there? God is going to give strength to Christ to do a perfect life and to be your perfect example and to pay your penalty for you, and to overcome Satan and sin in his life, and overcome every temptation. He's going to make that all possible. And he says, he is going to be what? He is going to greatly rejoice. Now later on we'll see that that really happens. <clears throat> you have given him his heart's desire, and you have withheld nothing, no request from his lips. Do you have any place in the gospel where you can find that Jesus prayed for somebody? He says, okay, Father, this man has a broken leg and I pray that you heal it. And he didn't heal it. Or he said he's blind, heal his blindness, and he didn't do it. Is there any place? Then, then this is, is answered, isn't it? You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Then it goes on, verse 3. You have sent blessings of your glad things to meet him. You set a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of you, 
and you gave it to him. Long life, forever and ever and evermore. And Jesus declared, I am the life. And the only way any of us can have life is through Jesus Christ. And he goes on. His glory is great because of your aid. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. For you make him to be blessed and a blessing forever. You make him exceedingly glad with the joy of your presence. Do you think Jesus was happy because the Father walked with him? All the time. All the time. Jesus was so ecstatic because he could appeal to the Father and the Father was with him at all the time. He was in Christ reconciling the world. For the king trusts and he relies. He's confident in the Lord. And through the mercy and steadfastness love of the Most High, he will never be moved. Was Jesus moved when it came to the opportunity for him to leave? No, he wasn't moved. He says, Father, not my will. But your will be done. He knew he could leave. He could leave and leave all of us to our problems. But he didn't do that. So he goes on. Your hand shall find all your enemies. Your right hand shall find all those who hate you. You will make them as if they are a burning oven in the time of your anger. And the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire will utterly consume them. And their offspring you will destroy from the earth, and their sons from among the children of men. For, verse 11, for they planned evil against you. They conceived a mischievous plot, which they had not been able to perform. In John 18, 6, we see that. So if you're writing things down later on, you look at John 18, 6. What happens is you see that, that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and along comes a mob, led by whom? Judas. And the mob is following Judas right to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, he says, who are you looking for? He said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I'm him. And what happened? When the I am says something. Godliness and divinity flashed forth from him, and that whole mob fell flat on the ground. You read that over in John 18, 6. So it says that they planned evil against you, but when they went to do it, they were not able to perform it. Another prophecy that's fulfilled. For you will make them turn their backs. You will aim your bow of divine justice at their faces. Be exalted, Lord, in your strength, and we will sing and praise your power. Wow. Now you come to Gethsemane. And Jesus is in Gethsemane. And as he's there, he's praying. Who is he praying for? He's praying for you and I. He's praying for the 12 disciples. He's praying for all the people of the world at that moment. And then he takes a little bit of break and he prays for himself. 
because it is crushing, the sins are crushing him, our sins, so heavily that he just about can't breathe. And he says, Father, take this cup from me. And nothing happens. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Three times he goes through that experience. Each time harder than before. Satan has heaped everything on him that he can heap. And Jesus is just barely alive under the burden of what's going on. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all the universe, from whenever something was created until this moment, there has always been a mediator between the wrath of God and the sinner. Always has been a mediator. But now Jesus is the first being that is standing before a holy God who is a consuming fire to sin and he, Jesus, has no mediator between him and the Father. It is so, so overwhelming that he cries out, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Can you hear him? He's saying, I'm your son! We have a plan. I thought you, we were going through this together. And God is silent. A lot of people say when they're going through trouble, they say, where's God? He was right there. And his heart was breaking. It was his son that was being crucified. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't go through this alone. I need you. And Satan said, that's right. You can't go through this alone. You might as well just give up right now. They're all lost. You're not going to get them back. It's a failure. Leave. And nobody here wants you. And under the pressure of that, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groanings, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you answer not. And at night I'm not silent and I find no rest. How long has Jesus been enduring this? From Thursday. And it's now Friday. And he's got Saturday yet to go through. He says, I pray day and night. But you are holy. And you who dwell in the holy place where the praises of Israel are offered. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and they leaned and relied on you and were confident and you delivered them. They cried out to you and they were delivered. But I, I am a worm and I'm no man. I am the scorned of men and despised by the people. All who see me 
laugh at me. He's hanging on the cross and he's saying this. All them that laugh at me, they shoot out their lip. They shake their head. They say, he trusted in God. Let God save him. Let him deliver him. And God would have delivered him right that very moment. That was his son. And he would have delivered him had Jesus said his word. But Jesus looked at you and I, and he could not do what Satan wanted. And so he says, you are the one who took me out of the womb. You made me hope and trust when I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from my very birth, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many foes like bulls have surrounded me like strong bulls, and, and they hedge me in. And again they open their mouths wide like ravenous and roaring lions. And what does the Bible tell you? It says the devil goeth about as what? A roaring lion. Seeking to devour whoever he can. He was there seeking to devour Jesus. And he says that I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. If you've been beaten like Jesus was beaten, your joints would have been kind of weak too. My heart is like wax. It is softened with anguish and melted down within me. My strength is dried up like a fragment of clay pottery. With thirst, my tongue cleaves to my jaws. My tongue is swollen and black. You have brought me into the dust of death. For like a pack of dogs, they have encompassed me. A company of evildoers have encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. Those are prophecies being fulfilled. They usually broke the legs of those they crucified. They part my clothing among them. They cast lots for my raiment. Be not far from me, O Lord. O my help, hasten to aid me. Deliver my life from the sword, oh, my dear life, my only one from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for you have answered me kindly from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brethren. You who fear and worship the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Fear and worship him, all you. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great congregation. I will pay to him my vows made in the time of trouble before them who fear and worship him. And then you go to verse 31. 
2231. And before you go to verse 2231, I want to read another verse to you. This is verse 31.5, where Jesus is, is getting ready to commit his spirit to God. And in verse 31 it says, They shall come and they shall declare his righteousness to a people not yet born. That he has done it and that it is finished. And who is the people not yet born that he... They're going to declare this to. We are. We are that people. And it goes on now. And you see Jesus has committed everything to the Father. And now if you want to know the real import. Of the 23rd Psalm. Let your imagination see Jesus. Hanging on the cross. As he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in fresh, tender, green pastures. He leads me beside the still and restful waters. He refreshes and restores my life. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod is there to protect me. Your staff is there to guide me. And they do comfort me. This is Christ hanging on the cross. This is the faith of Jesus being demonstrated for you and I. He is going through. He doesn't know anything of the deliverance. He's made a decision. He's going through the whole thing. And then he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. What is he referring to? He's referring to the great table miles long in the kingdom of heaven where all the redeemed will sit. And Jesus himself will gird himself as a servant and come down and serve every one of you. And he sees it. He's hanging on the cross. His strength is draining out of him. He's endured so much pain and suffering. And yet he looks down at that table and says, you're going to be there. And because you're going to be there, I'm going to go through this. I will not stop until you are saved. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You're getting ready to die. You're hanging on a cross. In a little bit, you're going to be dead. What kind of nonsense is this? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You only got an hour left. Is that faith? That is faith. And listen to the end of the faith. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
for a couple of minutes. Forever. Hallelujah. Forever. And then, that's Friday. Satan thinks he's won. Jesus is in the tomb. When Jesus created this world, he rested on the seventh day. And when he went to redeem you, he rested on the seventh day. From all the works that he had done. The work of creation and the work of salvation. He rested both times. You don't have to worry about all the funny arguments that are out in the world created by Satan that says the Sabbath day was done away with. Jesus rested on the Sabbath day. So that's Friday night. They put Jesus in the tomb. And Satan is jumping for joy. Would anyone here want to demonstrate Satan jumping for joy? No, all right. I wouldn't either. But I'll tell you what. Sundays are coming. Sunday is a coming. And he may be joyful right now. Like he is over so many of us. We're so close to the kingdom of heaven. But we won't give up something. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's tobacco. Maybe it's beer, liquor. Whatever it is. Maybe it's our own opinion. We won't give it up. So that we can have salvation. We will hang on to it. Until we are beyond the saving of our Savior. Because He will respect our right and privilege to make up our minds of whether we want him or we want what this life has to offer. And I might tell you at this point, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's Friday. Disciples have gone, hidden themselves. Hidden themselves. How many of you and I are hiding ourselves when we should be rejoicing in what God is working out in our lives? But we're not willing to go through the pain and pressure and everything that Jesus went through that we might have salvation. And somehow or other we fool ourselves into this philosophy that I'm just as good as you are. Well, I'll tell you what, if any of you are just as good as me, you're pretty bad. You're pretty bad. And if you think you can make it on heaven on that, then you're lost. But it's Friday night. And Jesus rests over the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day ends when? Sundown. And while it's still dark, before the sun has come up, came the women, the scriptures tell us. While it was dark, the women came, and they found the tomb empty. While it was dark, the world wants to celebrate Easter sunrise morning. They think there was a great big sun rising, and then Jesus came up like the sun. 
Jesus was already out of the tomb while it was dark. You go read the scriptures. Don't let the world tell you what the scriptures say. You read them for yourself. An angel is dispatched from heaven. I love this part. This is the best part. An angel is dispatched from heaven. And he is so excited. He is the angel that the Father has said, yes, you get to do it. Maybe they had a lottery. I don't know. And he won. He gets to do it. And he says, can I, can I go now? The father says, just a moment. Can I go now? He says, just, just a moment. Can I go now? You go! <laughs> and like a flash of lightning down from heaven came this angel. And when he hit the earth, he hit it with such pow! They like to show some of these superheroes to kids. And they jump on the street and the street breaks up. I'll tell you what, when he hit, there was an earthquake that went through the whole world. And he looked at those Roman soldiers, and every one of them said, not a mumbling word. They just, and laid down. And he touched that stone, and it rolled back. And he said, Thou Son of God, thy Father calleth thee. And immediately, Jesus answered. When he calls me, I will answer. When he calls me, I will answer. Oh, when he calls me, I will answer. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Oh, I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Oh, I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. Yeah, I'll be somewhere listening for my name. And Jesus heard his name. And he came out of that tomb. And he stood with his foot on that rock. And in verse 24, verse 1, chapter, chapter 24, verse 1, he said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everyone that dwells in it. Now, who do you belong to? The Lord. You used to belong to Satan. He had, he had gotten the earth away from Adam and Eve. He thought he was the prince of this world. He had it forever. But Jesus says, no, I came down, I paid the penalty for Adam's sin. And the earth is now returned to its rightful owner. The earth is the Lord's. And the Lord is who? The Son of Man. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And the price is the precious blood of the Son of God. That's the price. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And then we ask the question in verse 3. Who shall go up into the mountain of the Lord? 
Or who shall stand in His holy place? Talking about the sanctuary in heaven. Now what goes on in the sanctuary in heaven? I better go back up here. Some of you can't see me. What goes on in the sanctuary of heaven is where the judgment takes place. The thrones were set up and 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands gathered around and the judgment started taking place. And the judgment starts with the living and then goes through all the rest. And so the judgment takes place. Who do you want to go into the judgment and represent you? Who shall go up into the mountain of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4, only he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up himself to falsehood, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from his God and salvation. And God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then in verse 7 comes this fantastic event. When Jesus is leaving the earth, and as he's leaving the earth and he's going back to the Father, all the angels gather around with him, and they're taking him back to the Father. It's a glorious train, and it's going up to the Father, and as they get closer to the holy city, the angels cry out and they say, Lift up your heads, O you everlasting gates, and be ye lifted up that the King of glory might come in. And the angels that are in the holy city, and they're looking over the walls, and they can see Jesus coming, and they know who he is, and they see all the angels coming with him, and yet they answer the angel who has said, lift up your heads, and they say, who is this king of glory? Like they don't know. But they really know, but they like to hear Jesus' name. They want to hear him being acknowledged as triumphant. Over sin. They want to know that we are going to be saved if we trust in him. And so they say, who is he? And then the angels that are with Jesus answer back. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. That the king of glory comes in. And then the angels ask again. Who is the king of glory? And they answer the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And now, we have a response.